0: Welcome to Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need. Today on the show, it's Lindsay and I. Hello, Lindsay. Hi. Somehow when it's only two, it tends to be me and Lynn. So I don't know. The universe just wants to throw us together and I'm okay with that. Me too. Are you?
1: I just remembered that we're on video like now and I was like, oh, I should have like cleaned up the mess behind me. But everyone knows <laughs> I am still going through a... Uh, complete repairs of my kitchen, so it's just it's just reality, you know? We're real and raw here on Burn It All Down. <laughs>
0: well, the, the, what we're going to talk about for everybody is what's going on in women's soccer, especially the NWSL, but also U.S. Women's National Team, and for those of you that want to become patrons, we have amazing content, including Lindsay's Messy Bedroom. So please check out the content on patreon.com slash burn it all down. We are going to have a segment on WNBA playoffs, and I know you want to hear Linz talk about that. So before we get to women's soccer, I want to spend a minute on women's tennis. We are recording today on Tuesday, August 30th. Serena Williams did play the first round of the U.S. Open last night. There was a big FET after her win, Billie Jean King came out, Oprah's friend Gail, I guess. <laughs> Linz, did you have, um, what, what? how did you experience that moment?
1: Oh, first of all, I, and like people are gonna call me a hater or whatever. I don't know. I watched her in Montreal, it was against Raducanu. She did not look good. I did not expect her to win this at all. I just didn't. So, like
0: Team McEnroe, that's what John McEnroe said, the exact same thing.
1: I am not a huge fan of the Chrissy, Everett, John McEnroe uh, tennis commentator team. But also, anytime you say anything even kind of negative about Serena, like, oh, she's not moving her feet when she's clearly not moving her feet, people call you a hater. So it is like me saying right now, this is just realistically, I didn't expect her to win this match. People will say that, like, I hate Serena and like, I'm a hater. No, I just... I was using the knowledge I had from her previous match. So, so happy she won. I was so happy she got that moment. It was a little weird to have a big ceremony afterwards, but I ended up really enjoying it. Like, I talked myself into it because it was like, I don't know. First of all, the US Open always does some audacious, like, over-the-top ceremony to kick off the night session on Arthur Ashe on night one. So it made sense for it to be all about Serena. Because, like, if she wins and you're acting like it's just a normal match, like... That's a lie. It's not a normal match. Like, every single person there, celebrities, fans, R2, Amira, and Jess were there, you know? They went because they thought that might be Serena's last match. Like, it was a different atmosphere. So why pretend that it's not a celebration of Serena. You know what I mean? And um I thought the, the little ceremony after her match ended up being, like, really fun and kind of a hot mess, but in, like, a really endearing way. Like, I loved it.
0: I was good with it, too. And, yeah, Burn It All Down was present in the form of Jessica Luther, Amira Rose Davis, and our wonderful friend of show, Frank Gritty.
1: Oh, I didn't know Frank was there. Yeah,
0: and so I kept... I kept texting them. Of course, they were ignoring me because they were at something much more important. But um, (laughs) I felt somehow connected. It was really beautiful. I love to hear McEnroe reference Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe. And um, of course, that comes straight from Serena remembering them and commemorating them all the time. And she's so good about contextualizing her career. I love the story from Billie Jean King about how when she was six years old, she saw Serena serve. And said, "Don't change anything." And Billie Jean King's just a good storyteller. So I agree. We've come a we've come a really long way from a polite tennis clap.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, I just I don't know. I saw so many people being like online, being like, "This is weird," because it seemed like they were planning on her losing. You know, so like they planned this like retirement ceremony, but she's continuing on in the tournament, and it's like, well, a she could have lost, so you need to have something prepared. <laughs> And B, like, because she won, it ended up being much more joyous. And I mean, okay, can we talk about the outfit and the glitter and the diamonds in the hair and Olympia wearing a matching outfit except having the beads like Serena did when she first came on the scene? She had what Ava Wallace, our friend of the Washington Post, called a butt cape of like glitter, like when she walked onto the court. It was a moment. It was so cool.
0: It was beautiful. She looked amazing. I love glitter. I'm one of the few parents that has made it through three girls, and I still love glitter everywhere all the time. That
1: is so off brand. I am I know. actually like stuck. I know, like,
0: my kids just throw glitter. I have it stuck in my hair for years. I think it's embedded. You are full of surprises, Bren. You are know. full of surprises. So I'm all for Serena wearing glitter all over. I hope she does the next time. I do love how she's forced John McEnroe to guess what kind of glitter she might have on her outfit in the next round, as if that's something you ever thought you would hear that man (laughs) discuss. He's like, maybe she could wear a white outfit with black glitter. And I was just like, wow, she really has changed just everything about this sport. Okay. So much has been happening in women's soccer this summer. I love it. Even Copa America and the Euros notwithstanding. Lindsay and I are going to delve into it right now, starting with U.S. Women's National Team, but really focused on the NWSL and the relationship between the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL, which is really interesting for me too. So just to start out, last week started with U.S. Women's National Team's call-ups for the friendlies against Nigeria in the beginning of September. And that sparked all kinds of controversy in terms of who Vlaco picked, who he didn't pick. He came out with a big interview explaining how he picks out players, which was kind of ridiculous, and basically says he watches the NWSL, which I guess, great. Was that on the table (laughs) as something he didn't do? I don't really know. But I think he was also trying to say, look, the growth of this professional league has meant that I have an embarrassment of riches in terms of who who I'm calling up. Lynn', how, how did you see that play out?
1: I am not an expert enough on the individual talent levels of women's soccer players to have super duper strong you know, analysis on any of the roster call-ups. I just think after every roster... Call up and the backlash. I think I'm glad that's not me <laughs> like having to decide. Yes, uh, I think U.S. Women's National Team fans are always a bit over the top, as all fans should be. That's part of a healthy fandom, right? Is to be over the top, but um, you know, I think it's a very nerve wracking time for U.S. Women's National Team fans. You know, winning two World Cups in a row is remarkable, and. It also, though, really sets you up to be knocked off that throne, right? And I think if you're looking at the global game right now, if you're looking what we just saw in Euros, in Copa America, if you're looking all around, you're seeing so much talent, you're seeing so many other healthy leagues, it's all exciting. And if you're a fan of the US Women's National Team, it's also terrifying because uh, it's only going to get harder and harder and harder. And ultimately, that's a good thing for everybody, right? Like, that's a good thing for the health of the growth of the sport. But it's it's going to be tough. And it's literally hard to win, whether it be by approval of your selection process or just winning on the field. So I'm really excited for some of the friendlies coming up this fall. Usually between the Olympics and the World Cup, there's, like, two full years, three years. But because of COVID, everything's compressed really can't believe the world cup is next year. So I'm anxious for everyone, but I'm also like, I'm not going to tell you whether or not Blacko made the right decisions because I I just, um, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, there's a, there's a degree to which it's impossible, right? Because we don't know what his architecture is. We don't know what, what he's kind of looking for, what he thinks he needs. Um, that takes a, a better field of vision than I have certainly as a coach. Um, And I coach youth, so I just tie shoelaces most of the time. And that takes up a lot of what (laughs) my coaching involves. So I can't imagine trying to look at the field. One of the things that's interesting to me is a critique was about me official who is playing in the Mexican league and her not getting a call up or maybe she should have. And I think it's interesting when he said, I'm looking at the NWSL because what we see is, you know, Macardio over in League 1. We see all this U.S. talent kind of spread out now in different leagues and not just the NWSL. And I think that kind of rattles people. And I just want to put a question out there, and we don't have to answer it at all. We can move on. I just want to, like, I don't know, put, like, a pin in it for future thinking, looking ahead, What the health of these leagues, of the NWSL, of the Liga Mexicana, of the European leagues especially, and thinking to myself what it's going to mean for women's soccer in college. College used to be a place where the U.S. women's national team was scouting, and I'm not sure that that's going to be the case anymore with professionalization. So I don't know. I'm just really interested in how it all plays out. What Vlako and his team is going to kind of do, and how that's going to affect um, NCAA's importance in kind of global soccer. And if we see that diminish in a way that's not necessarily sad, but also healthy.
1: I agree. I think that's, it's going to be very curious to see like how things evolve. And also, I just want to add like one of the reasons Vlako is under so much criticism and, you know, people being upset is because the legends of yesterday are not going away quietly. They're not making it easy to be left off the team. Right. Um, Alex Morgan is having one of the best seasons of her career. Right. Like she's not ready to let go of those spots. Megan Rapinoe. You know, she's, Already admitted that she's very down for a very diminished role on the U.S. Women's National Team, but you see some of the goals and some of the yeah. instincts she has in the NWSL and in finishing. It's hard to leave her off the roster, right? Like it's not it's not easy to just turn the page when the current page is so damn good.
0: Yeah, and <laughs> like, you know it's interesting to hear people's critique of the way that players age, and we talk about this on the show a lot. It's so interesting how players change. Um, whether it's Messi or Ronaldo with age, how they changed their game, you know, and a lot of people have come out and sort of said things about speed. And I just want to remind people for the last time that the U.S. women's national team has never really been speedy. I don't know if you remember this woman named Abby Wambach. or them. You know, they're really slow. You know, that's not what distinguishes some of these players. So it's not necessarily that they've lost that spark and that what made them special before. So we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting. He has plenty of young players on that roster, so it might just be a very good balance. Okay. So news is also coming fast in this NWSL season. Reigning champions, the Washington spirit have had a dismal go of it thus far. They are in next to last place just ahead of Gotham City FC, and at the top of the standings are the San Diego Wave with the Dash and KC right behind them. We're going to get to that feel-good story in a moment, but before that, I want to talk about the Spirit. Just over a week ago, the Spirit fired head coach Chris Ward without much communication, one-liner saying he's been relieved of his duties. And fans will remember that last year, their coach, Richie Burke, was fired because of player abuse. So the very brief communication from the front office that word had just an incident with a player was um, not enough. Lindsay, can you tell us what we've learned since that announcement?
1: Yeah, we've learned a lot. Um, first of all, like, you, you just can't handle things the way the Spirit did, given all this league has been through, which I feel like we come together every few months and just talk drama and then WSL <laughs> yeah. and, you know, little D drama and capital D drama, like very serious, you know, and unsettling things. And given the history of abusive coaches in this league and within this spirit in particular, you simply just cannot handle things and the communications the way this spirit did. It was very unprofessional and it left a vacuum so we had Chris Ward give a Q&A with The Athletic, with Pablo um, and Meg Linehan. He said that, that he did raise his voice for the first time all year at a player. They were working on you know, how to control the game in various circumstances. And he said, I ended up getting upset and yelling at her to get off the field because one of the players was having a hard time grasping what he was talking about. And he said it was probably the first time all year that I've ever raised my voice to any of the players. Um, When asked if he would characterize the way he addressed the player as inappropriate, he said if I had to do it again, I would do it differently. I kind of used volume instead of pulling a player aside. And from that standpoint, you know, I would do it differently. But he also was very stressed, you know. There wasn't any name-calling, belittling, or anything like that. It wasn't over-the-top from a language standpoint. So he was very trying to, like, thread the line of saying, I do see how this could be interpreted, but it wasn't that bad. And he gets into talking about a lot of other issues with the club. A lot of losing. um, A lot of trouble schedule-wise since the Challenge Cup. um, A lot of... Changes with Michelle Young coming on board as the owner and then moving into these United offices and just, you know, a whole host of things. Of course, after this interview came out, there was a lot of discussion um, of, oh, my God, can a coach not even yell at players anymore? Like, (gasps) heaven forbid. And I think it's very important. I want to read this in full that after their game this weekend, Andy Sullivan, the Washington Spirit co-captain, gave a statement well, we would like to start off with a statement on behalf of the players. Firstly, we are frustrated that this is necessary given our history. Second, we are angered by Chris Ward's answers in the piece by The Athletic. We know the idiom that there are two sides to every story, but that is simply not the case in this scenario. We know his interview to be a completely inaccurate recollection of a serious situation, and furthermore, the apology offered to us last Friday demonstrates a misalignment in his words and actions towards this team. The players fully support the decision of the club to relieve him of his duties as head coach, and we have every intention of cooperating in a proper course of action as it relates to circumstances like this one. So that's a new a uh, wrinkle that's been added to this that does change the way I think about it. These players are not weak. These players have been in pro soccer for most of their life, you know, or like competitive soccer. Trust me, they've been yelled at a lot. Like they've dealt with tough coaching. I trust these players to know the difference between tough coaching and inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And all the investigations are still ongoing. You know, their, their internal investigations, external investigations, on the federation level, on the NWSL level, on team levels. Doesn't seem like we're gonna have any answers till you know this season is over. And um, I- I'm just kind of devastated that the players had to release a statement like that.
0: Yeah, it's disappointing because there was a lot of optimism that the change in the front office and the change in ownership was gonna result in a different set of circumstances. So you know it didn't seem like like round one They've done much better
1: than they did last time. Well, although it did, it seems like the, this situation happened and they did fire him immediately. True. I think the communication could be way better. But I do actually think it's a good sign that it, it was taken care of. Of course, what we don't know is, you know, the history of this has been building And we also, the spirit very much portrayed this as being a combination of this incident and the on-field results, right? Of both being taken into account. So I was disappointed that the spirit left any any doubt. I think they should have said specifically that they fired him. And I just don't like how it was handled.
0: Well, and going forward, I hope their search takes a different track. If you know the organization has created this toxic environment and then you say, we're going to just keep the assistant coach and make him head coach. You know, you might want to think twice about your hiring choices and a little more carefully. So we'll see what happens. It's, you know, developing story. Another developing story, uh, before we get to the fun stuff, is that the NWSL Players Association filed a grievance last week over the eligibility of 22 of its players for free agency, which is in dispute For the first time, the NWSL is opening free agency, and I am super confused because this league, as the players point out, doesn't remind me of any football league that I know. To me, any soccer league is governed by the overlords of the transfer system at FIFA, okay? So they all belong to that. They all need to apply for transfers anyway. It's not like free agency is really as free in most football leagues as one wants, right? But in any case, were they, like, forced to sign five-year contracts before this and never let out? I mean, what happened when their contract was up?
1: I Actually, I didn't fully understand. And thankfully, our friends at The Athletic, Megan Steph, did a great breakdown of it for me um as far as like what used to happen um thank you both here's how it works so this is from the athletic once again from meg linihan and steph young so it says free agents can pick any team to negotiate with for a new contract that begins at the end of their current contract regardless of which team currently holds their rights and prior to this free agency all players who contracts expired and who didn't have their rights controlled by a team First, one on a waiver wire for 24 hours, during which other teams could claim their rights. And afterwards, they became discovery players. During this process, teams could then submit a discovery request to the league to claim exclusive rights to negotiate with that player for a period of 30 days. And discovery is still in place for players who are not eligible to be free agents under the terms of the CBA. So that process sounds really horrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, and supposedly they still have to do that if they haven't been in the league yeah, for five exactly. years. Like it's only in the sixth years. Like, what the fuck, NWSL? Like, what? I'm I really did not fully understand that. That is bonkers.
1: So like it goes back, like I remember I've done a lot of um reporting on the first WNBA player union contract, which was back in '99. But free agency, it took them to their second contract to get free agency. It was something they really, 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 really had to fight for because these players did not have full control over their rights once they were dumped the team. And it's a big labor rights issue, given the way American sports are structured and with salary caps and with all of that. And so I do think that... Maybe the terminology is different than it's used in kind of overseas and stuff, but I do think it's a huge labor rights win for the players, ultimately. And of course, I, you know, Brendan and I differ because I've just super Americanized in the way I've grown grown up with sports. So free agency is a term I'm very used to. So I'm very curious how this works out. But I'm also very, it is a really good deal because for a team to be able to claim you, and to have exclusive negotiating rights for 30 days and you just have to like wait out those 30 days? That doesn't seem right.
0: <laughs> I'm just, Yeah, I just did not fully appreciate the situation they were in. So okay. I'm glad that you've like done some digging into this because it's not really that easy to figure it out. No. Um, if this appeal is rejected, what happens? There's 22 that are still under in dispute, right, if they qualify.
1: Yeah, that's because they have an option on their contract. So they have a team option on their contract. And the whole deal is um, the players think that they should be able to negotiate anyways. But the teams don't have to make a decision on that option until like November 15th or something like that you know, there's just dispute as to where, which also like this just really seems like stuff that we could have figured out before all this started. But
0: yeah, it does seem like the CBA should override any individual contracts or that's usually the way it works. But like, gosh, who knows with US labor law right now, what happens? So let's hope they get, you know, they get some, (laughs) some acknowledgement and freedom to move around. Uh, In spite of some of these things, there really have been some high points to the season thus far. And for me, one of them is the San Diego Wave, the expansion team whose star player Alex Morgan is just playing lights out and a thousand percent committed to making this club as popular as she can possibly make it. She's clearly thrilled to be back in California You know, she's on every talk show, every morning talk show around. Just to see the growth of the NWSL and women's soccer in the U.S. um, and then add that with the ambitions of this club, um, it's just really exciting to be a part of this club and at this point in my career. What we see is that attendance has, has followed their success. I mean, who wouldn't want to see her right now? They broke the record of over 27,000 tickets sold. That's the record for a regular season single match uh, for NWSL. That's for their game against Angel City FC on September 17th. There's not a lot of things that really wow me, but this is a big wow moment for me. So it looks like having two expansion teams in California was a good move, huh? Like, hmm, maybe rivalries work.
1: Baby, who knew? Who knew?
0: I mean, that's pretty big numbers, you know, to come out like right away season one. And of course, Angel City had, you know, all the Hollywood people behind it. And that's great. And we covered that a lot. But the wave definitely didn't. Um, That that was somewhat of a surprise.
1: I had no idea. Like, I thought that they were going to get
0: overshadowed.
1: right? Right. Like Completely. And it's just good to know that there are multiple ways to do this right. You know what I mean? Like, it's great to have a Natalie Portman and, you know, celebrity friends as long as they're doing it right. But you can also have independent ownership groups in not as big cities also doing it right. And that's just, that's great news. Yeah.
0: I mean, when I think about it, it's not really that as surprising as one might think. I mean, it's a really well-placed team. Like think about the kind of families and the culture of girls and then women's soccer there. Think about, you know, everything from the zoo to the universities. Like it's a great city. It's got a huge Latinx population. They've done a lot of their marketing in Spanish. I think that has been tremendously successful even you know the wave FC is football club right so they they spell it the Spanish way which whatever is performative but but also important um at the same time they also have an amazing manager uh I don't know how many people are old enough to remember Casey Stoney playing for England she was captain of the English national women's team she is one of the like founding, players, defender of that generation that has made the Lionesses the team that you saw this year at the Euros. And she is so great and charismatic. And I'm really excited to see her. Lindsay, did you, do you think that U.S. audiences really even knew who she was?
1: I mean, not general audiences, no. But I think, you know, women's soccer fans who paid any attention to, you know, what's been going on, you know, internationally, I think definitely did I mean? Also, there are so few women managers and coaches yeah. given a chance. Yep. So that's how I knew of her, right? Like I don't follow mm-hmm. uh, what European um, football as closely as I should, but it was well publicized that there was this woman leading this team and having all the success because. That's not the norm. So, I mean, I don't know if if all the San Diego fans... She, she's probably not the draw for, like, everybody. Yeah. You know, all 27,000 people there.
0: <laughs> like. I'm just so... I'm glad to see her get her due. Me too. Um, I'd like to see her continue to succeed there. The Wave are moving into Snapdragon Stadium, which they will share with the University of San Diego. That seats 35,000. So, given the 27,000 number, which is terrific... I think that's that's super exciting. A smaller but just as, if not more exciting project is the Casey Current, whose eleven thousand five hundred seat stadium is scheduled to be ready for twenty twenty four. It is also being constructed and designed under the guise of women engineers or a majority of women women engineers, and so it might be. And flamethrowers can check on us. Uh, it might be the first ever stadium constructed specifically for a women's professional team. Um, So that would be very exciting. There are very, very few stadiums at all in in the U.S. that are dedicated solely to soccer, um, much less a women's team. So that's really exciting. And I just want to close out this segment with how the
1: season's going to end this is such exciting news. Yeah. We finally found out um, there's been a delay in the announcement of the you know time and place of the championship game, which has been for the NWSL, which has been frustrating, but it was for good reason for once. <laughs> the 2022 NWSL Championship will be at 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, October 29th, live from Audi Field in Washington, DC. 8 p.m. Eastern, you might notice that is. Prime time on a Saturday night on CBS in late October. This is a time when football, college football is really big. It's a hard time to get prime time broadcast time. And it turns out that Ally partnered with NWSL and CBS to make this worthwhile for CBS. So I guess to pay them. So they would definitely be making enough money to hold that spot for women's soccer. That's a huge deal. Like, I don't need any more feel-good commercials about, like, women's empowerment and about, like, how Nike loves women or whatever it is. This is the type of, like, real allyship, like, we need. But we're stuck with capitalism, so let's make it, like, this is how I would like it to work more often in uh, women's sports. And now we all have to tune in we all have to tell everyone about it because this is this is a really big deal
0: and we just get to see it for the first time i mean i know it costs a lot of money and that sucks to get some of these streaming services and to get some of these channels but it's so great to be able to watch it i mean i just it just wasn't that long ago that it was virtually impossible
1: also kudos to the players because if you remember last year It was originally decided that it was going to... The game was going to be in Portland at first. And it was noon Eastern on CBS. Like, that was the only time CBS was willing to give them. And so... That would have been a 9 a.m. game, right? And the players said, absolutely not. And it ended up getting moved to um, Louisville, I believe. But that was still in that noon time slot. It was just, at least for the players, not on West Coast time. And I really think that those players speaking out and using their voices and having that solidarity is what helped, like, alert sponsors and alert the league. Like, we have to figure out a solution here because this is unacceptable,
0: All right. Well, get ready. Mark your calendars. October 29th. We'll definitely be keeping our coverage of NWSL ongoing here at Burn It All Down.
2: Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: If you want to hear Lindsay and I give an update on the WNBA, which really means hear Lindsay giving an update on the WNBA and me learning about those playoffs, go to patreoncom burn it all down. It's a great segment. This week on Burn It All Down's interview, I spoke with Anna Jorka, Telemundo Deportes Emmy nominated sports and entertainment host, who will be one of the commentators for the network's World Cup coverage about her journey from Honduras to Orlando to Qatar. I would like to say, oh my gosh, I remember when I was dreaming about hosting, be the main host of the World Cup, but I would be lying because that never occurred to me that it was even possible, you know? Check it out now in your podcast feed. And now, everybody's favorite part of the show, we are going to take all the things that have been awful in sports, or just at least two of them, because there are two of us, and throw them on the metaphorical burn pile and set them aflame. Linz, do you want to start off?
1: Uh, Last Friday, Rachel Richardson, the only black starter for the Duke volleyball team, um, was subjected to racial abuse, including fans chanting the N-word every time she went, touched the ball during a game at BYU. Her godmother first brought this to Twitter, saying that, you know, every time she served, she was called the N-word and her goddaughter was threatened by a white male that told her to watch her back oh. going to the team bus a police officer had to be put by their bench during the match. That's how bad it got, but it did not get bad enough for anyone at BYU or on the Duke team to stop the game and to protect this player. Um, After the godmother, Lessa Pamplin, brought this to Twitter. Rachel herself came out with this statement and um, those around her did as well. Um, It turns out that not only (laughs) was everyone aware that this was happening, because again, the police officer had to come on the bench, but there was really nobody who acted to protect her during the game or afterwards. The, BYU coaching staff did absolutely nothing. Um, it's really kind of hard to even put into words like how despicable something like this is. And I just want to say, first of all, to the athletic director at BYU, who after this incident, he was quick to apologize and condemn it. They banned the fan. and But his statement did not include the word racism. <laughs> And he totally took the if you only knew the person behind the skin color, you know, that's what we have to do. We just have to get to know one another and love one another, which that's not the problem. The problem is blatant racism. These are not random acts. And they're especially not random acts when they're allowed to happen throughout the entirety of the game, even if it's just one person subjecting the abuse. The fact that this was not stopped in any way by those around them, by the administrators, all the BYU games are, are filmed. I mean, somebody has to step in and protect the player. And it cannot be on her and on her Black teammates to tell people how to respond to this and to take a step up. So banning this one fan is not nearly good enough. Um, These are systemic issues. BYU just a few weeks ago said that they weren't using the diversity, equity, and inclusion training that the rest of the world used, that they needed to find their own way that was gospel-led. You know, on the other hand, Rachel Richardson specifically said that Duke's DEI training helped her navigate this, which... I still have a problem with Duke's DEI training because the Duke coach, nobody stopped this while it was happening. I'm sorry, this has to be stopped. And every single team, and especially those led by white people, which is so many of the teams, you need to have protocols and plans in place for if racial abuse happens to your players of color while they are on the court. And you need to be ready to act. And BYU should absolutely be sanctioned. This is despicable. And we don't time in this burn to get into BYU's entire history of this, you know, racial abuse. But it's just it's just absolutely devastating. I'll finish by reading, though, what Rachel said. I do want to highlight her words. She said, although the heckling eventually took a mental toll on me, I refuse to allow it to stop me from doing what I love to do play volleyball, I refuse to allow those racist bigots to feel any degree of satisfaction. Therefore, on behalf of my African-American teammates and I, we do not want to receive pity or be looked at as helpless. We do not feel as though we are victims of some tragic and unavoidable event. We are proud to be young African-American women, and we are proud to be Duke student athletes, and we are proud to stand up against racism. So to all those who heard this and did nothing, to all those who treat this as a one-off incident. And to those who cannot call out racism and particularly anti-black racism by the names that they are. Burn.
0: Burn. Ugh, that is horrible. There is no excuse for not intervening. And I guess this burn pile has a back to school theme. Because I'm also uh, burning the handling of, in this case, a sexual assault case by San Diego State University. And it's pretty shocking. We are decades into this. We are decades into everyone at the university being trained, universities having entire offices, Title IX offices, DEI coordinators everything. And that investment has been made. You have to purposefully avoid doing the right thing almost at many universities. I'm not saying BYU, in this case, San Diego State. Um, I want to burn the handling of San Diego State University football athletics program and the campus police, or I think they call themselves, um, what is it, public security for the not handling of this particular case. So we heard this past week the Buffalo Bills have released punter Matt Areza just days after a civil lawsuit was filed, which charged Areza and two other San Diego State football players of raping a 17-year-old girl. The LA Times, especially Colleen Shelby, has done amazing reporting on this. They launched an investigation last month, so even before the bills had heard about this. So I'm just saying centered here on the university. The investigation found that San Diego State University decided not to alert any of the campus community. They did not even, when requested by the police, launch a real investigation, which they are legally responsible for doing. And it took the survivor going to the press and going back to the police and still the university, now we're talking seven months, eight months out of it, have, have done nothing, absolutely nothing. And so they filed a civil suit. This brought it to the attention of the Bills. I mean, let's say the Bills knew anyway, but whatever. I'm not even getting into the NFL. I'm just staying on the campus police and security right now had this case on their desk for seven to eight months and people continued to go to school. People continued to go about their business and nothing was done. And now you've got this situation in which Matt Aresa and the Bills are claiming that this person, this survivor is, is targeting him and it's absolutely ridiculous. Like I said, you have to try to avoid these offices and these initiatives at the university. So I want to burn the total negligence of San Diego State University and its athletics program that athletic directors should be fired. They should be sued by the state of California. They should be sued by San Diego. They are in violation of everything that has, like, like major fucking constitutional legislation. What are you talking about? Burn. Burn, burn, burn. Okay, after all that burn-worthy material, there's two of us, and I still feel like it's just on fire. Let's celebrate some of the wonderful things that have happened this week in sports and some of the wonderful people trying to change um, the terrible structures that be. I want to start to congratulate the grassroots organizations that have pressured Brazilian Football Federation to change its policies on racism including the likes of FAIR, which I should say I work with, and Observatorio Haciel, because this past week, the Federation has proposed and launched a program beginning in 2023 that clubs who have fans en masse and repeatedly engaging in racist behavior will face a point punishment. You know, they will lose actual points in their quest to win the championship. This is a really big deal because for those of you that aren't, Aware outside of U.S. soccer, you can be relegated. Those clubs can leave. So congratulations to the grassroots activists that pushed this really, really big change. It's awesome, Lindsay.
1: Shout out to Carol Hutchins who retired this week after 38 years as the head coach of Michigan softball. She leaves as the winningest coach in school history, which is amazing because Michigan got a lot of sports. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she led Michigan to one national title, 22 Big Ten regular season titles, and 10 Big Ten tournament championships.
0: And I want to shout out and highlight Baruch student Carly Quint, who finished number one in Division three in softball and average RBIs per game, 1.67. She had 65 total RBIs in 39 games. Congratulations, Carly. Lindsay.
1: Yeah, we've got our WNBA end of season awards coming down the pipeline. Shout out to Ryan Howard, rookie of the year, with 53 of 56 votes. Jackie Young, the most improved player. Um, James Wade, the executive of the year, and then Becky Hammond, the coach of the year, which we love to see. And of course, Sylvia Fowles with the Kim Pratt Sportsmanship Award. Congratulations to everyone for wonderful regular season in the WNBA.
0: And can I get a drum roll? Guppy fish drum roll, but we mean it sincerely. Congratulations to the Spanish national women's team for winning the under 20 World Cup in a 3-1 victory over Japan. It was held in Costa Rica, a very successful and wonderful tournament. The Spanish program has just leapt onto the scene, largely because of this activism we've covered here at Burn It All Down. They have gotten more resources, and look what they've done. And in dark times, we like to celebrate what's good in our world. As I'm looking at the document, Lindsay, per usual, like me, has left it blank. Lindsay, <laughs>
1: Lindsay, without a kitchen, still, what's good? Look, it's been two months without a kitchen, everyone. It's been two months. It was July 3rd when started raining hot water for three hours in my kitchen because the pipe burst two floors above me in my condo building. Not had a kitchen sense. Um, This week I have met with people who are, you know, like flooring people and drywall people and cabinet people. I've at least talked to them. I've seen that they exist. They've seen my place. (laughs) My guess right now is it's going to be another full month until maybe um, I have a functional kitchen. I really miss my kitchen sink most of all. Nothing glamorous. It's not even the floor that I miss. It's not the giant hole being filled in my kitchen wall. It's just a sink. I just really miss my kitchen sink. But anyways, um, good stuff. Let's see... uh I'm loving the WNBA playoffs, loving the U.S. Open. This is one of my favorite sports times of the year. Um, I, over the weekend, Mo and I went with my aunt to what is like a doggy water park. um, In Canapolis, North Carolina. And Mo, who does not swim, still had the time of his life. So that was a blast. So what's good is progress on the front of my kitchen. So I'm going to celebrate it. Fair. That's a
0: really good attitude. Um,
1: I should say, though, that Brenda, your what's good also looks very familiar, <laughs> because I'm pretty sure we've written this name next year, what's good, at
2: least like <laughs> half of the time.
1: Because half of the time, that's
0: what's good. This was seeing Bad Bunny <laughs> at Yankee Stadium on Sunday, August 28th. And it was amazing. And he played for over three hours, I think over 40 songs. And it was not just him. Uh, It was the crowd, you know, to see him with the Boricua people, you know, out there singing every lyric. And it was super disorganized, you know, like in like Bronx public security fashion. It was ridiculous mess. But people were so tranquilo. People were so chill. They were awesome. Um, It was such a good vibe. I didn't see anybody like yelling, pushing, and it was a mess, you know? And it was hot as hell. It was like 95. We're all standing there trying to just get in to see the bunny. And people were so cool, and he just absolutely delivered. In the middle of the show, he accepted the VMA Award for Artist of the Year. Carmelo Anthony gave it to him, so you can picture what the reaction of this crowd was like. He kissed dancers, male and female, and in between identified. Um, it was awesome. He was, like, in great spirits. He did not break into English once, not on the VMAs, and not all And let me tell you, it was appreciated. People there just love him and love his kind of, yeah, just the constant political representation, the constant critique of machismo and it was just awesome the energy it was so good it was so good there was sand okay this is the last thing i'll say there was even sand outside the stadium because the whole kind of theme of the concert un verdano sinti is about you know the beach and he's always like coming back to like this broader beach fuck it mentality right and there was like beach sand that they put all over yankee stadium and it was great it just like it was so fun That's my what's good. It's going to be my what's good for like a really long time, but I promise I won't put it. But it's better than pumpkin spice, so there. What we're watching this week, we've already covered it. Check out the U.S. Open, WNBA playoffs, um, ongoing NWSL, games. I mean, it's 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 a really great time for sports, as Lynn said. And aren't you
1: going to the US Open Brent?
0: Today. That's really good. Yay, that's what's no, good. Still still if I could go back and see Bad Bunny again, I just would. I love Naomi Osaka, <laughs> oh but that was insane. God. It's hard for me to bounce back and join normal levels okay. of real life. Right, okay. But I'm gonna love it. I
1: don't know if seeing Naomi Osaka on Arthur Ash is a normal level of real life.
0: I'm thrilled. Okay. I'm thrilled. <laughs> I'm just you know I'm okay. I'm coming down. So, okay, that's all for Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. For show links and transcripts, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. You'll also find a link to our merch at our bonfire store. If you want to become a sustaining donor to our show, again, visit patreon.com slash burn it all down. And once again, you can listen to Lindsay's amazing WNBA playoff rundown. I'm Brenda Elsie. On behalf of Lindsay and my co-hosts, keep burning on and not out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great week.